You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Amen. Good morning. You made it to church today. Good job. Um, You can bring the mic down just a little bit. Man, I really just so value and love our times together. Um, And hopefully you do as well. Prioritize them in your life. There's something so special that happens when we gather together. Obviously, there's a responsibility for each one of us to be getting alone with God and uh, having these times of worship alone with him. And it's in that place that you can listen to all of your favorite songs and your preferred style of worship and your the, uh, whatever you like to do in that time and meet with the Lord. But then there's something that happens when we come and we gather together. Um, and we value God's presence. We steward his presence here and God shows up and heals um, bodies, heals lives, and restores people. Amen? Isn't that cool? And so we're just getting started. I I believe we've just been, through this summer, on this upper trajectory. God is going to really break something wide open, I believe, this fall. And so let's hang on. Let's get ready. Let's not stop. Um, Let's continue um, our persistence and faithfulness to stewarding God's presence and and getting in his word. Amen? If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. Like Alex said, our... uh, Tonight we're having an all-hands, all-volunteer meeting, so um, I don't need to regurgitate what he just said, but it is top priority. Like um, We're going to refocus, get ready for the fall. If you want to know what it's like to serve here, if you want to know the heart of what it is to be a part of a family, and when we're a part of a family, everybody helps, everybody um, gives. So if, you're, if you come and you are faithfully attending and a part of this church, you should be serving, and you should be giving back. So I want to invite you to come tonight, and you can find out what that's all about. We'll hopefully be done by about 7, but we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to um, do all those sorts of good things. We've been in this series, Awakening, and we just have a couple weeks left. Uh, Pastor Drew will be back uh, August 28th, so don't worry. If you're sick of me, then it's just a couple more weeks left, so just you power through it, all right? Um, He'll be back, and uh, just really excited for what God's been putting on his heart. God's been doing some very significant things in their lives. And so, um, but we've been in this series throughout the summer awakening. Every generation needs an encounter. Um, you need to experience the Lord for yourself. You can't leech off of someone else's. Walk with the Lord. When you stand before him one day, you won't stand with your spouse. You won't stand with your parents. You won't stand with your kids. You'll stand by yourself before him and give account for your life. And so every single one of us, is the, there's this available, this personal and intimate relationship with the king of the universe that God has invited every single one of us into. And, but there's this propensity within us as we follow God, there's this propensity to get distracted, to settle for lesser loves, to love other things, to run after other things. And God in his mercy... Um, calls us back. The good news is there's nothing unique or special about us that we are like that because all of humanity has been like that throughout history. And this book of Jeremiah is such a, a beautiful call back uh, of God calling his people back. And this first chapter, or the second chapter in Jeremiah, um, we're going to be in it next, this weekend, next week, 
is really about the absurdity from heaven's point of view, from God's point of view, the absurdity of falling, falling away from the Lord, of following after other things, for lesser things, for empty and worthless things. It says in um, verse 12, it says, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror. They're just up scratching their heads. Like, how could you give up something so amazing, someone so amazing and so credible, so beautiful, so loving, so kind for lesser loves? for worthless things, for the things of this world. It doesn't make sense. And as you get to know the Lord, as you walk with him, you realize in a greater measure how much you need him. And you understand in a greater way how huge he is and how small we are. Recently, my brother and I were in Alaska and we were walking through the mountains and I, I told him, I was like, I feel so small. I don't know if you've looked around Iowa, but we don't have a lot of mountains around. So we have just vast cornfields and I've never stood in a cornfield feeling like I feel like so small and insignificant right now. But in the mountains of Alaska, I was like, wow, who am I that you are even mindful of me, God? That you even know my name or think about me? But the more that we know him, the more that you realize God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your name. He knows your past and your present. He knows what he wants to do with your life. And the more our eyes are open and illuminated to the things of God and who he is, there, becomes this, there comes this greater dependence and gratefulness as we walk with him. This humility that says, Lord, I want you and nothing else, like we just sang. Lord, I want nothing else but you. Even if I never experience another blessing or benefit, God, I want you. And I'm not going to fall away, and I'm not going to follow after these worthless things. So this book is written over the span of a, a couple kings, but the first few chapters are Jeremiah is a prophet, and he is writing, and it's, just the, it's during the reign of Josiah, and Josiah was considered a good king in Israel, but his grandfather Manasseh was one of the most evil kings that Israel had ever had. He followed after um, idols and, and, and um, other gods. He sacrificed humans. He sacrificed children to these gods. There was a literal uh, river of blood flowing through the city until he was led away by Babylon, by the nose. It was there that he repented, but then even Jeremiah's father, Amon was not a good king. And so Jeremiah comes, this unlikely prophet. The Lord begins to speak through him. And at that same time, Josiah, is, his heart is being awakened to the things of God. And there's this turning back of Israel towards God. So the Lord comes in chapter 1 to, to, to Jeremiah and says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you... Before you were born, I set you apart. I, I, I pointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah does what most of us do when God calls us to something bigger than ourselves, is he says, no, nah, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong house. You probably meant to go next door and knock on that door. It's an honest mistake. It happens all the time. But I'm not the one. I, I, I do not know how to speak, Lord. I'm too young. He starts giving all these excuses, and the Lord says, nope, it's you. It's you. And thus begins this beautiful invitation for Israel, who's been wandering after all these, and going after all of these pointless things. There's this call, and God begins to speak. 
And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, The Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, and all who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. We can stop there for now. The very first words uttered through the prophet Jeremiah to the people were those two words, I remember. I remember. Now that's a good word. God remembers. Now he's talking specifically about the devotion of your youth, but God remembers the promises that he made to you. The word that he's spoken over your life, God has not forgotten it. The destiny that God has proclaimed over you, he has not forgotten it. God has not passed you by, he remembers. The tragedy that you've experienced in your life, God didn't forget it, he remembers. The, the things that you've celebrated, the, things, the victories that you had, God has not forgotten. He's, he's remembered, he remembers. In Psalm 12 it says that we serve a God who, who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's not asleep at the switch. God remembers. God remembers he hasn't passed you by. And that's a good word. For somebody here this morning, you felt like you're just like a number. You're just a number. But the Lord is saying this morning, he remembers you. He knows your name. You're not the stepchild. I'm a stepchild, so I'm not taking offense to that. You've been adopted in. He knows your name. He remembers he remembers. But he says this, I remember the devotion of your youth. Now remember, they've wandered off into all these just disgusting things. And he's, Jesus, or God is reminiscing, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me. He's reminiscing about the simple times when they followed him through the wilderness, through a land not sown. He's referring back to that 40 years in the desert when they were delivered from Egypt. And they're wandering through the desert, right? A very short trip took 40 years. Because believe it or not, it wasn't about getting to the, always about getting to the promised land. There were things that God wanted to work out along the way. That's why it took so long. But he said, I remember the devotion. That word devotion, the Hebrew word is hesed, that word has uh, many applications, but here it means like a steadfast, a loyal love, a faithful love, a consistent and constant love. And as a, as a bride, you, you loved me. You loved, in the, in the Greek word for, uh, this is in, was in, originally in Hebrew, but if that word loved was translated to Greek, it would be agape love. That's like a sacrificial, like unconditional love. How you love me. Isn't it interesting? This is before the promised land. This is before the kingdoms. This is before they had kings, before they had all these things. There was the simplicity of their devotion, just wandering through the desert with God. And the Lord is thinking back fondly to that time. They were worried about the promised land, and the promise became more important than the one who promised it. And the Lord is looking back at this time fondly and saying, I remember when nothing else mattered, when it was just to follow after me, just to love me. And listen, we can look back at, at, at those times, and we, we have it recorded here in Scripture, that the, everything wasn't always great, right? 
It wasn't all roses. They complained that food was literally falling from the sky and they were getting sick of it. They even had times of like, maybe things would be better back in Egypt. They were humans and we all have thoughts like that, but the thing that they continued to do was follow him. They didn't desert him, they followed him. In the book of Revelation, it'll be on the screen. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. In one of the letters to the seven churches, in Revelation chapter two, this is a fairly common portion of scripture. Jesus speaks to that now. He says in verse two, I know your deeds. Your hard work and your perseverance, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have, pers- you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this thing against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did first. This is the same message that Jesus has in Matthew chapter 7. Not all, who will, not all on that day who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But many will say to me, Lord, haven't we cast out demons, done many wonders and many miracles in your name, and you'll, I'll declare, depart from me, I never knew you. Because it was never about what we do for God. It's about him. It's about knowing him, the love. And so he's talking about this first love. We left, we forsake. To me, that word forsake means to just disregard And I don't think any one of us consciously just be like, okay, well, I mean, it obviously happens. But as we walk with the Lord, like complacency and lukewarmness doesn't just happen overnight. But it comes in those small decisions where we disregard the Lord. And he says, consider how far you've fallen. Think about those days when you first loved me. And do those things first. What were things that marked that time? I believe it's gratefulness, humility, and dependence on him a tenacity, a rawness in how we pursue God. And like we just sang over and over, Lord, there's nothing else, there's no one else. And I want you to know this morning that there's, that prayer doesn't change in our life. You never get to a place of such maturity where you'd say, God, I want other, uh, there's other things that are better out you, than you out there. Instead, it's that, that same prayer to the day that we die, Lord, it's only you, it's only you. My eyes are only for you. Go back and do the things that you did first, he said. Last Saturday, my wife and I, we celebrated 12 years of marriage. And um, we say we've been married for 12 and we've been happily married for seven. And the good news is it's been the last seven. So, right, we're not, everyone's like, okay, let's take a moment and pray. But recently we were on a date and my wife likes to, and I do too, but she's usually the one that starts it. We, she starts to reminisce about how we met. In those early days, and I remember my, I just had hearts in my eyes. It was like I couldn't, I call it cupidity, right? Cupid and stupidity put together. It's just like, you just, you can't think right. I see it all the time at college students. It happens all the time. You make poor decisions. You do all these things, right? I had this cupidity. I just was like, man, when I wasn't with her, I was thinking about her. I started writing songs for her. And I never wrote songs for a woman in my whole life. I just, she was always on my mind and I would pursue her and I'd call her and I'd think about her. And then, and then we got married 
and, um, and it changed, to be honest with you. Other things became a priority in my life, a buffer. And I remember that in those days that she would say, Tony, I feel like I get, I get your garbage time. I get your leftovers. She, said, she would say to me, Tony, you're a, good, you're a really good pastor, but you're not a very good husband. And it was true. It was absolutely 100% true. It wasn't until the Lord's mercy about seven years ago, we went through a year where we stepped away from ministry and God reconfigured and reprioritized our life. He showed me that, that I was pursuing these empty things. You know, ministry outside of God is useless. It's pointless. It's empty. It doesn't mean anything. Church, if God's not here, it's not a church. It's pointless. It doesn't mean anything. It just makes us feel a little better. And then we go home. But God began to rekindle that first love for my wife in that season. And I began to go back and do the things that I did first. I said, not another day is going to pass that my wife is not going to know that I love her more than anyone in this world. Because those first five years, there were days where she wasn't sure. Go back and do the things that you did first. The Lord remembers the devotion of your youth. The, the, how was a bride you loved him? In verse 3, it says that, and Israel was holy to the Lord. That word holy means like set apart, unique, special. Israel was holy to the Lord for two reasons. One is that God had made a covenant with, with Abraham. That, and that, that's a covenant that's still in place today. That we, we have not... His church has not replaced Israel in that covenant. We've been grafted in. But the Lord has made a covenant with us now in the new covenant. That we've been adopted into this family. But Israel was holding to the Lord, one, because of the promise that God had made to Abraham, but also because they followed him. Because they followed him. And it said, and, and all who devoured her were guilty and disaster overtook them. There was this place of blessing and protection that came when they followed the Lord. And so for us, in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says that he saved us and now he has called us to be holy because of his purpose and his grace. So for us now, when just as, as followers of Jesus, we are holy, we are set apart. We are blameless. But then there's also this, this place of blessing that comes, this place of even greater provision and protection that comes when we follow his voice. In verse two, and it says, they followed me through the wilderness. And we can look back and see all the ways that God provided for them. There's this beautiful place of protection and blessing and provision that comes when we follow Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. So as a follower of Jesus, there are just like the inherent general blessings and benefits that come in just being part of his household. But then I believe there's even greater blessings and um, peace and joy that come in being obedient to the things that he's asking, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Growing up, 
my, my brother and I went down completely different paths. I went the way of the world, in drugs, alcohol, empty relationships, all that, that garbage. And we grew up in the same house. So just because we lived in the same house, there were certain benefits, uh, benefits afforded to both of us. I got to sleep there. And it was, there was heat and there was air conditioning in the summer. I, I had a bed there, a room. I had food, clothes, just because I was a son in the house. But because of my inability to heed my own father's advice and my brother listening to my father, being obedient, there was a level of maturity, joy, and peace that I did not know that he got to experience in his life because he listened to the father of our house. Listen, as you walk with the Lord, there's just, like I said, that, that, that blessing that will come in following him, but there's an even greater blessing when you're obedient to the things that God does, calls you to do in your life, and he leads you in. Amen? In verse 4, it says, and we're going to take communion in a few moments here. Verse 4, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols, and they became worthless themselves. He asked this rhetorical question, knowing that there's, there's no fault that anyone found in God. But he's saying, what, what did they conjure up in their minds? What did they come up with that they found fault in me, that they stopped following me and started following after these worthless idols? The worthless idols really means like empty things. They started pursuing empty things. And so in turn, they pursued empty things, and so they themselves became empty. They became distracted. They started seeking other things. They started having eyes for other things, lesser loves. Notice here, it wasn't the Lord who banished them, who excommunicated, who kicked them out. It says they stopped following him like they did in the wilderness, and now they started following worthless and empty worldly things. And so they themselves became empty. My son, when we go in the store, he's three years old, and he'll grab my hand, and right now at his age, it's just awesome. He's like my, my little shadow. It's just the best. He's just so fun to be around. But we go to the store, and we, we, he grabs my hand, and we... When I go to the store for something, I have a mission. I'm not there to peruse. Uh, I have no desire to that. I want to get what we need to, to get and get on with our lives. And uh, my wife always gets on me because she knows when I go to the store because we always get the name brand stuff, not the great value or Benton or whatever all these um, brand is. I get That's a story for a different day, sorry. <clears throat> um, but my son will grab my hand. And we walk through the store, and I'm on a mission to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And I make the mistake of walking by the toy aisle. And what happens? My son, who's holding my hand, he lets go of my hand, and he starts running after whatever Paw Patrol thing is on the display. Right? His eyes have forgotten why we were there, or his mind has forgotten why we were there. His eyes have departed the mission and now are on this worthless Paw Patrol thing. Right? And I'm not going to break his little heart and say that that is worthless and pointless, knowing that it is. We'll have it for a short time, and then it'll end up somewhere or in a landfill, right? But 
it's not me who left him. It's not me who kicked him out to go after those things. He let go of my hand. And luckily for him, I chased after him, right? But if I didn't and I kept walking, he'd look back after a while and recognize that I'm nowhere to be found. Listen, the Lord doesn't leave us. And if you feel far from him, it's not him that moved. We let go of his hand. We started following after these things that are lesser, that are pointless. And some of them are wrong, absolutely. But some are just distractions in our life. We give him our garbage time. We give him our leftovers. Worship team, you can come. Worship is such a huge value. We're people of his presence. But worship, we become like what we worship. Did you know that? So these people worshiped worthless idols and they became worthless. But we can worship all kinds of things. And we become empty just like those things. But when you pursue the Lord, and we'll talk about it more next week, when we pursue the Lord, there's that spring of living water that wells up within you that never runs dry, that fills you to overflowing day after day after day that you can be full and satisfied living in his house, walking with him, sitting at his table. And it never gets old and it never runs out. We can stand, you'll notice on the chair around you somewhere, uh, there's the communion elements. Sorry, can you grab grab me that again? Sorry. There's a kind of a film on top that you can pull out and get the thing. The Lord is saying this morning, I want you to remember. For me, when I came to know the Lord, it was a very dramatic experience, and um, I can I can view it in my mind. For some of you, that's what, what following Jesus was like. You can go back to a, a particular day, a particular time, and say that was the time. Others, um, it was like a process. It was a season of turning can't necessarily put your finger on one specific moment, but it was like a a time of turning in your life. Whatever your experience in coming to the Lord was like, or I want you to think back to those times. There was a gratefulness and a humility in your heart, a dependence that you had on Him. You didn't know anything. You weren't trying to impress him with your wisdom, with the depths of your knowledge for Scripture. Go back and read your journals from there. You'll laugh at yourself. But he wasn't laughing. He loved that devotion of your youth. He loved how as a bride you loved him. That there was nothing to prove There was nothing on the line. You just loved him. And you're just grateful to sit at the table. Listen, I've sat with inmates who've given their hearts to the Lord and are just like flabbergasted that there would be this one in heaven who loved them, who would see something of value in them. 
I've sat with people who have whose marriages have been restored because of the grace of God and with such a grateful heart of saying, God, thank you for not leaving us. Thank you for restoring us. I've sat with people who are sick, who needed healing and watched God heal them and there's such a gratefulness. There's such a reminding again of the dependence that we have on the Lord. He is the one who holds all things together. There's nothing that we could do to save ourselves. Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin. Listen, that's your story. That's my story. We were dead, dead in our transgressions and our sin. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves, nothing. We were dead in our transgressions and our sin, in which you used to live and you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in, the, in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving God's wrath. But God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that we have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that anyone could boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's this reminder that we need that there was nothing that we could do. It was a gift of God, the gift of grace that came for us and saved us. That the Lord said, I see something of value in you, but it's being masked by sin, so I need to do something about that sin. You were created and made for more than this. To just follow the whims of your flesh and the whims of this world, but to follow and serve God. To love Him every single day of your life with every breath that you're given to be a person who walks in step with the Spirit, as Galatians 5 says. So Lord, right now, would you stand across this place? Just collectively, I want us to pray. Lord, right now, we just, Lord, we repent, we confess, at times, Lord, we've gotten lazy. We've gotten distracted. We've been in love with other things. But just as we've been feeling this morning, Lord, there's just this invitation, this drawing of something more. Lord, right now we just say thank you. We thank you for your heart for us. 
you take the bread. Jesus was beaten. He was scourged. The Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition. He was humiliated on that cross. Hung naked there. For you and for me. And even if you were the only one in the world, he still would have done it. So Lord, we say thank you now. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. And because your body was broken for us, now we can experience healing and restoration. So you can break that and eat that. Thank you, Jesus. Begin to thank him now. We thank you, Jesus. We come with a heart of gratitude before you, Lord. We say thank you, Jesus, for giving your life. And then his blood was spilled for us, for the remission of sin. It was only the blood of Jesus, only the sacrifice of Jesus that could wash our sin. No other way, nothing else. That his blood was poured out for you and I so that sin could be removed, that the Holy Spirit then in turn could come live inside of us, be upon us, and be among us. So Lord, we thank you for your blood that's been poured out for us. This morning, if you've got sin in your life, things in you that you know aren't pleasing to him right now, I want you just to, you don't have to say it out loud, but just be in a repent, confess and repent those things him. Acts 3 says, repent therefore and turn to God so that times and so your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. On the other side of the cross of this dying to ourselves are times of refreshing. And you can go ahead and drink that. Lord, we thank you for your blood shed for us. Your blood is enough. Your blood is enough. It covers every single sin. There's nothing too big, nothing too small. Lord, your blood covers it all, removes the sin. In Jesus' name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.